Tim and you're listening to the New Life at Home podcast and on this episode my guest is Marcia Melville on the topic of Esther and the silence of God. Marcia takes us into this story in the Old Testament, this beautiful story, and she retells it and she draws out some of the implications for us and how she's been encouraged and challenged by the book. And by doing that, she helps us to see the hidden hand of God in history. That's a great chat, wonderful encouragement. So I hope you enjoy. Marcia, welcome to the podcast for episode 23. Can you believe it? Well done, Tim. (laughs) Have you listened to a few? I have. I have. Um, I've really enjoyed Mike and Jeanette Adams and hearing from them in Goulburn. And um, I really loved Vicky and her sporting one as yeah, well yeah. And, and her experience there. And um, But I particularly enjoyed Mike McGarrity's last week. Um, I was very jealous that he got the topic of Narnia. <laughs> I was like, no, that would be great. So, um, yeah, I've enjoyed lots of your podcasts. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed last week's one, the Narnia episode, the C.S. Lewis one, because... We're going to continue in that vein. Do you have a favourite C.S. Lewis chronicle? Uh, I keep changing, which I think is the sign of true love, that you keep rediscovering gems at different points. And last week when I was listening to uh, Mike talk about the horse and his boy being the first one that he'd read, and it was almost like that's the odd one out in the series. It doesn't quite follow the same pattern. I was really inspired because I thought, oh, it's the Esther of the Narnia series. And um, what I really love, it's about this boy who's really the outcast and he's not part of the Narnia land. He hasn't Mm. even heard about it and he doesn't understand who he is and he goes on this journey. Is it Shasta? Yes. Yep. 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 So Shasta. And right at the end, when he's finally brought in to uh, Narnia and he's met Aslan, um, he sees his life as this series of unfortunate events. And Aslan actually takes the time to stop and point out he was with him all the time. Um, and I'll share with you what it says. I, I brought yep. the book. <laughs> you brought the book and you've got the book here. Yep. And you're going to read the quote for us. I yep. am. Yeah. And it said, Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? Said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I just told you there was at least two the first night and there was only one, but he was swift afoot. How do you know? I was the lion, and as Shasta gasped an open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove, drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to the shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight, to receive you. So, mm. what, what is it that you love about that, that quote and that moment when Shasta meets yeah. Aslan? I love the retrospect because it's that 
often it's God can seem very silent in our lives. Mm. Um, And when you look at some of the narratives in the Bible, God is very present. So, you know, when you have the 10 plagues, uh, it's very visible to Pharaoh that God is present and is acting actively for his people. Mm. But Esther is a great example of a book where God seems very silent. In fact, his name's not even mentioned once in the book Mm. and I think that's how we can feel in our lives and to find Mm. a narrative where you kind of feel oh I'm on my own I'm alone and yet to have that wisdom and retrospective thought of no you know Aslan was traveling alongside or God is there orchestrating all those small and insignificant moments it brings you into this broader narrative that's exciting and challenging and refreshing yeah, wow. Uh, if we if we dive into Esther now, so you mentioned something from I can't remember what you said, but you mentioned something from <laughs> Esther one week in our life group, and I was like, oh, that was that was insightful. I'm sorry, I don't remember what it is, but I remember it being <laughs> I, insightful. I'm like, we've got to get you on the podcast to talk about Esther and encourage us with with that. Do you want to just give us yeah a bit of an idea of yeah. the book of Esther? Well, I decided to read it. Um, at the end of term three, because uh, I, I find narrative can be very refreshing. So it's often the Psalms or narrative that I that I will go to. And I felt in that season of God is silent. And there's actually lots of narratives you can go to when God is silent. You can go to Job and many places. And um, mm. I fell on Esther this time and found it really refreshing. And I think our instant response when you're reading through this story is to affiliate with the protagonist, with Esther, um, and where she sits in that, and Mordecai. And, um, yeah, just seeing how, again, God, when even his name is not mentioned, is working in those lives. Mm. And I think the... One of the really interesting thing is she's an unlikely protagonist. So okay. the book opens with this big picture of this king who is really wanting to exploit his power and his position and really mm. asks this queen Vashti to compromise herself and come into this banquet and it was through just that incident mm. that God starts setting up this plan of redemption, not only a micro story about Esther and Mordecai, yep. but this greater picture of how he's going to actually redeem his people mm. um, in th- this part of history. So Israel's in exile yep. at the time and they're under Persian rule, is it? Yep. King Xerxes. Yeah. And yep. and this is where the antagonist, Haman, kind of really fits in. So uh, recently, he, um, King Xerxes has lost a lot of his wealth and plunder because he's gone after the Greeks. And Haman comes in and says, hey, I know how you can make a, bu- <laughs> a buck. Uh, there's these uh, Jewish, well, he doesn't even name them. He just says there are these people who, you know, you plunder and take their wealth, you'll mm-hmm. be in a really good position and all of that comes about because he's offended uh his pride is offended that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him at the city Mm. gates Uh, so Haman Mm. becomes a really interesting character of uh pride and to really work through what is what can that look like in our in our lives as well and how does that play out for us as human beings yeah wow so the the threat I guess of the destruction 
of God's people, mm. the wiping of them out, the exploiting of, of them, is that the, the problem that sort of drives the narrative tension and the narrative forward that, oh, you know, God's made these promises, but yes. he's silent, his people aren't in the land, his people aren't, yep. you know, possessing what was promised. So, And that's mm. right. And I think Esther becomes that recorded story that they would celebrate each year at the Feast of Purim uh, as the reminding how God rescued them from their enemies. But it's so different to really like the Exodus where God is so visual and evident. Here it's the hidden hand of God at play uh, through unlikely uh, heroes, through mm. Esther and through Mordecai and unseen uh, incidences as well. Yeah, so how does Esther come to the throne? Yeah, so it's... As it's, a Jewish woman. That's right. It's a really interesting portrayal. So it's uh, Vashti uh, gets the flick as a result of uh, not obeying the king. In fact, you know, she could have lost her life over that. We don't know for sure if that happens. But the search is on for the new queen. And um, she's actually, her mum and dad have died and she's in the care of Mordecai, who's her cousin. And it's this bizarre circumstance where he kind of pushes her forward to be part mm. of his harem. And if you look at it in one sense, um, that's actually not an ideal situation that you would want your daughter or a beloved relative to be in because ultimately to be part of the harem is you don't get your own family life and you don't uh, uh, have necessarily a happy ending you're one of many women who could live either rejected as a widow and quite ostracized um, or if you're very lucky you might have a child and an heir but, you know, the chances, numbers of being the actual queen was quite unlikely. Mm. So, um, and there's a kind of a chasing after appearances and after the world. And it's not something, in a sense, really, that kind of Jewish biblical picture of an ideal heron, heron we would have mm. um, in that sense. Like she, yeah, she's, you know, morally compromised in these mm. decisions of where she's being put forward. And yet mm. God still is using her. God works through all our circumstances, which I think is really encouraging. It's not at a performance-based uh, uh, religion mm. that we have. Rather, it's a relational religion. And seeing mm. Esther progress through that in spite of her prior choices and God still using her and mm. blessing her and ultimately blessing God's people um, is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, so how does that happen? How does... She end up being such a pivotal key figure in the in the fortunes of her people. So I think chapter four is a real climax for her. At one mm. point, um, Mordecai's caused a little bit of a problem by not bowing down to Haman, and Haman comes up with his plot of right, I'm going to go to the king and get him on side, not only to get rid of Mordecai, but to get rid of the whole Jewish people. Mm. Um, and he comes to Esther. And he tries to put extreme pressure on her to say, you know, you know, whatever happens to us as Jewish people is going to happen <clears throat> mm. to you as well. Don't think you're going to escape just because you're the queen. Mm. And so she's left with this moral dilemma of what do I do? And she mm. finishes with these final beautiful words of, then I will go to the king and if I perish, I perish. So in that culture and at that time, 
for her as a woman to actually approach the king could actually mean the loss of her life. And that for the first time, she's unveiling her identity and who she is. So she's doing Yeah, so that's a massive risk for her. Mm. Great personal risk, yet is convicted that this is perhaps Mm. the time and place that God has put her there for this. Mm. And and what's the resolution? Um, It's a beautiful resolution. She actually goes back and says to Mordecai, ask everyone to pray. It's almost a picture of one person interceding on their behalf, just like Jesus has interceded for us. You see Esther stepping in and she asks for prayer. And then she comes up with uh, this great plan and scheme to invite both Haman and the king to a special banquet and a feast. Um, So she has this banquet. Haman thinks he's the bee's knees, that he's gone. He's in with the queen. He's in with the king. He's actually put gallows out uh, for uh, Mordecai (laughs) to be killed on. He feels he's arrived and he's now going to this second banquet. And at this second banquet, the king says, why are you doing this? There must be something on your heart that you desire. And she says, you know, um, to, you have made this laurel, this decree to kill my people and to kill me. And that suddenly the king is hit by the foolishness of this decree because he's in this no-win situation of, you know, to shame the queen that he's picked, um, but he's made this law that's irreversible. And so he leaves uh, the scene to try and work out what it is he's supposed to do, and he's in a rage. Meanwhile, Haman uh, is left with Queen Esther, and at that time it was inappropriate for anyone to be near Um, the queen Mm. or to be in 12 yards of her Um, and yet you see him kind of crawl up and is on at his knees on her couch near her almost begging for his life and when Mm. the king walks back in um, it's the excuse he needs to accuse him of virtually assaulting the queen and he can take his head but that's not the end of it even if he's in agreement with Esther he still made this irreversible Persian law that uh, has put uh, them at war with the Jewish people. So yeah. he then makes a new law that the Jewish people can fight and defend themselves. And this is when they rise up and God blesses that. And they, um, mm. yeah, and yeah, they're rescued and they have peace. Yeah, and Haman himself ends up in the... <laughs> Very much in the his own gallows, ironically. <laughs> and that's mm. that picture of pride that comes out. Here was some gallows that he'd actually uh, built for someone else. And at one point, the king had come to him and asked, you know, who is it that you would, if you could favor someone with your blessing, what would you do? What would be your gift? And this is all because many years ago, Mordecai had actually come with of a scandal to take the king's life and he'd actually stepped in and interceded for him and exposed that and one night he has a sleepless night and you know it's wonderful to see God's hand in sleepless nights which we've all had Um, Mm. and he's going through the chronicles saying um, yeah what happened for Mordecai how did we thank him but mm. Haman doesn't know this. Haman thinks, who else would be blessed other than me? Um, and says, oh, you know, I'd love to ride on the king's horse with the king's ring. So it's all those 
extra um, social signs of approval and yet then it's bestowed on his mortal enemy Mordecai yeah and it's this ironic twist of fate um yeah yeah and the story ends with Mordecai second in command to the king I believe yes and so peeling this back a little bit and digging into the narrative and what we can learn from it what is it about the way that this story is written that makes it so appealing like the way that you've talked about it you can hear you know the passion and the how it's gripped you um what is it about this that has gripped you in a way that like just simply a report of like what happened the bare details wouldn't do yeah i i absolutely i i feel um narrative is one of those really helpful instruments that build empathy and help us look at things slightly outside of ourselves and um, Mm. it's interesting that the major genre of the bible is actually written in narrative and i think god knows that and longs to woo us and persuade us into looking at our own hearts and often Mm. doing that through a protagonist or even through an antagonist, is a great way of exposing our own uh, desires or our own shortcomings or, yeah, our own understanding of who God is. And reading through this narrative, you come away shocked at the sovereign sovereign hand of God, even though in the small Mm. things, even though he's silent. And you become shocked that he would use a protagonist who's so flawed and broken at the beginning and yet can have courage to do the right thing at the Mm. right time. And you can come away challenged by the antagonist and how he wrestles with pride. how that can be such a deep impact on our personality and our souls. And I think that's a real mm. challenge as well. Yeah. yeah. So what has been some of the, you know, this latest reading for you in Esther, what has been some of the encouragements that you could share with us um, and personal challenges as well? Yeah, I think it really, uh, I spent a little bit of time rethinking through the concept of pride and how we get caught up in it. And I actually think it's one of those invisible sins in our life it's like if some of the sins that we do are really obvious and we know it. this is what you said at at our life group that i forgot about that i wanted to i was like yes i'm glad we got there (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah so uh, like for example if you know someone's having a fair on the side it's not like oh whoops how did that happen you're very aware that it's there even if you're hiding it or suddenly you know thirty thousand dollars is in your account yeah it's you know you know that you have embezzled but i think pride is often that invisible sin that creeps up on us and yet has such an impact on our own life and personality and i think it comes two ways um there's Mm. that extroverted pride that you can see often you know and people might say oh you know a trump type personality that's really out there and extroverted um it could be pride but i think pride can also very much look introverted where if we're Mm. consumed with our own faults and failures and we have our own anxiety okay so our insecurities can be a reflection of our pride as much as as our our bravado correct and so mm. I think um, uh, C.S. Lewis is really helpful here when he defines pride as a consumption of self rather than an other-centeredness. And so working through um, 
yeah, pride, it's so hard to see because often uh, the way we might fix some of the other sins we might struggle with our life is to come back to the Bible and to really um, meditate on a righteous life and looking at the Ten Commandments. And that can be a strong rebuke to refocus us and deal with that sin. But in fact, with pride, that can actually grow our self-righteousness instead and we can be uh, feeding our pride um, rather than reducing it um, as well so I think pride is one of those really uh, tricky sins that creep up on us Mm. and it's coming back to God and actually having that God-centered asking God to reveal himself to us so that we can see ourselves clearly um, Mm. is one of those constant things we need to do um, as well. Mm. And I think Haman is a great example of that. Yeah. So him as a character in this historical narrative, how he's portrayed, how the narrative exposes him. Mm. We can trace, we can trace his steps um, along the way and see how he was self-deluded and how he didn't see things clearly. And And by doing that, it can expose our own delusion when we perhaps wouldn't have had that exposed yeah I, th- I think it's 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 parking our self-centeredness which is so not something that we often do in our culture so our culture celebrates uh what appears to be accessible so you know mm. in this story uh the king celebrates his wealth and his power you know at the beginning we see women are celebrated for their beauty and their sexuality um mm. and yet here it's a picture i think with pride uh it's actually god letting god come in and actually praying and having a humility of god show me myself I think praying that first and then show me yourself as well. So having that as the constant prayer in our life, show me yourself, show me myself. And so you start seeing God as that bigger uh, Mm. God who is sovereign in all circumstances, the hidden and the overt. And then we start seeing ourselves as smaller. Why is it, Marcia, that we're continually drawn to narratives in the Bible I um, love Sally Lloyd-Jones. Many of you, if you have small children, have spent many nights reading passages from Sally Lloyd-Jones, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And right at the end of that, she sums it up so well. And I want to share with you her final quote. And it says, from from John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, For anyone who says yes to Jesus... For anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reach out and take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life, to be who they really are, who God always made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear child. Because, you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is it's your story too. And that's what's exciting about narrative. It's not simply Esther's story. It's not simply Noah's story. It can be part of our story with Christ at the centre, redeeming us and giving us hope for the future. Thanks so much, Marcia, for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome to have you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast on Esther and the silence of God. Isn't it wonderful how God draws us to himself uh, in these stories, out of ourselves to himself, and gives us that true picture of reality, including a true picture of ourselves. Next week on the podcast, Sandra Clifford's coming on to chat about the work of Tear, how she's been involved with Tear over the years, and how we can be involved in the lead up to Christmas. Christmas.